So we got uh, John on the line here. What would you like to ask him? How does your day-to-day role look as a capital advisory and consulting business? You know, on a day-to-day basis, we go out there and, and, and reach out to folks and as, as well as look at deals. The first line of what we do, essentially, as far as the process is concerned, I need to understand the deal myself when I speak with a new sponsor or a new syndicator before I go out and sell it to somebody else. If it makes no sense, I, I'm not going to sugarcoat it for them. I'm going to tell them what I see wrong. I don't want to say educate them, but give them my perspective, an ungarnished perspective on what, what their deal look like and, and what the likelihood of the funding is. Welcome to the Diary of an Apartment Investor podcast with your host, Brian Briscoe. In this podcast, we bring some of the top professionals in the apartment investing field to discuss various aspects of the apartment investing journey with the sole purpose of educating listeners to make wise investment decisions. The Diary of an Apartment Investor podcast is sponsored by Four Oaks Capital, bringing you high yield returns through apartment complex investing. This is journal entry number 39 and part of our Ask the Expert series. In this episode, we have experienced investor John Azar and aspiring investor Hirsch Rye. Keep listening to find out how multifamily consultant and capital advisor can accelerate your growth. And now, the show. Welcome to the Diary of an Apartment Investor podcast. I'm your host, Brian Briscoe with Four Oaks Capital. I'm very excited for today's show. This is one of our Ask the Expert episodes. We've got two amazing people on the line with us right now. A man with a ton of experience in various aspects of real estate and finance, John Azar and a very motivated and energetic aspiring investor, Hirsch Rye. John is the founder of Peak 15 Capital, which is a capital consulting firm for multifamily operators that can advise on all aspects of the capital stack. John also currently acts as managing member of MACVP, a syndicator based in Charlotte, North Carolina, that owns and operates over 6,000 multifamily units. Previously, John was a co-founder and managing partner of Boston Venture Partners, a private equity consulting and finance firm based in Boston, specializing in real estate development and structured finance. Well, that's very impressive, John. With that said, welcome to the show. Thank you. Thanks so much, Brian. Appreciate you. Thanks for having me. Yeah. I mean, you've got a lot of experience. You're, you're probably the most experienced guy I've had on the show so far. You know, this is going to be you know, episode 30 something, but 6,000 multifamily units. That's quite a bit. It's yeah. a good amount. Yeah. yeah. It's, it's, a, it's a team effort, obviously. And it's a company that my brother started and, and I helped grow. And, and uh, yeah, it's, uh, it's day by day. And, and one one bite at a time, as I like to tell everybody. That's how we yeah. eat the whale. Yeah, yeah, exactly. So let's do this. Let's talk a little bit about your background and your history up until the point where you decided that uh, multifamily be part of your career. Yeah, I mean, my background has mostly been investment and finance. I got my start in on the equity desk at Morgan Stanley, mm-hmm. and uh, it's been a kind of a circuitous path since then. I've mostly, mostly related to investments and institutional sales. I've had tenures in places like Morgan Stanley, Bank of America, Commercial Banking, Royal Bank of Canada, Capital Markets. In, 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 in between, in 2004, I started my own company, a structured finance company with a couple of partners. We focused mostly on large-scale mixed-use development at the time. Mm-hmm. Uh, we took our skills that we had from working with places like Morgan Stanley and Royal Bank of Canada and, and, and kind of parlayed it into a structured finance firm that focuses on working with developers mostly mm-hmm. and, and syndicators at the time, but large-scale syndicators that are based in places like New York and LA right. who had projects all over the world. Um, mm-hmm. And they needed, they needed funding 
most of the fundings that we worked with was in the excess of two or three hundred million dollars. So it's, wow. it was it was it was large scale projects. I had we had one project that never came to fruition, but we were working with a guy who was trying to build the largest residential tower at the time in Miami that was going to be a, a billion dollar plus project. Wow! And he was trying to do it in two thousand four, two thousand five. So that tells you why he probably didn't go through. But yeah. uh, <laughs> but the, these are the top engagements we're in. And then 2008, unfortunately, after having a great run for about four years, we had to kind of shutter, shutter yes. our doors due to, to, to something that happened in the market, if you remember back then. Yeah, uh, you, I, I very much remember that. I bought my, my first investment property in 2007. And so I, I was small time, didn't have to shutter anything. But uh, yeah. there, there's a little, you know, a lot of people lost a lot of money, especially in the real estate game there. Yes, so, yes, indeed. Yes, yeah. indeed. Yeah. So, and then we have to shift gears and go back and get day jobs, and which we did, and it was fine. Mm-hmm. And you gotta, you gotta do what you gotta do. Yeah. Uh, and then in 2014, I joined my brother Tony uh, Azar, who had started Mac Venture Partners, or the, actually the predecessor of Mac Venture Partners at the time. It was called Mac Properties and Capstone Group. And we launched Mac Venture Partners as the sort of private equity extension of mm-hmm. of the previous company. And we grew that business from about 2,000 units or so, 2,500 units to the, what it is today, which is over 6,000 units. Okay. And along that time, you have 6,000 units today, but along that time, I assume you, you've probably sold several properties up as well. We have. We have. I mean, we transacted. In total, we've probably transacted over 8,500 units or so okay. throughout the years. So, nice. uh, you know, buying and selling. Okay. Now, what, what area are you guys focused on for your acquisitions? We focused in the Southeast. Okay. Uh, so mostly the Carolinas, Georgia, Tennessee, mm-hmm. Florida area. Yeah. I, you know, I really like those areas. That's, I mean, we're obviously two zeros away from what you, you've acquired so far, but love the area. I think the dynamics in, in the Southeast are just absolutely amazing. I mean, you got a lot of people moving from North to South, money and people are moving from North to South. And I think there's, there's a lot of years of growth still ahead of us in those areas. Absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. And then last year we shifted gears a little bit, launched uh, Peak 15 Capital as a as we saw it, ironically pre-COVID okay. as we kind of saw started to see a softening in the marketplace and a and a and a kind of retrenchment and acquisitions. There was not a whole lot of acquisitions out there that we liked. We are very mm-hmm. conservative in our numbers and very conservative in our acquisitions. Uh, as a result, uh, I launched Peak 15 Capital and we want I wanted to kind of capitalize on everything that we've worked with before. Uh, a lot of our institutional connections, a lot of our private equity connections, a lot of my background have been all of that. So I have relationships that I've groomed for the past six years, seven years, or even really if, if you, to a larger extension the past 15 or 20 years of my, mm-hmm. my career in investments and, and kind of parlay that to to other sponsors and, and syndicators who are looking for help in their capital stack. Obviously, bring in expertise to the table with capital stack and from, from A to Z, meaning meaning if they do not know how to identify what they need, help them identify what they need. If they cannot undertake this task of underwriting a pro forma, help them with that. And then obviously, the, the end result, help them get some capital that they need yeah. for their project. So, so looking at this, I mean, so your, your ideal client, ideal client, ideal deal size, you know, what, who, who should call you for, for help at peak 15? Any syndicator sponsor, uh, really, and in, in, in obviously multifamily is our, is, is our, is our core expertise and a low-hanging mm-hmm. fruit. Uh, anybody who's, I work with syndicators who are doing new developments yep. that involve mixed use, that has a multifamily component, maybe a hotel component, uh, mm-hmm. maybe a retail component to it. I have developers that are developing office, commercial office, hopefully 
they have to rethink their their commercial office uh, developments at this True. point with uh, with the with the advent of COVID. But yeah, for the most part, our core expertise is is with multifamily guys that are buying existing stabilized assets in various markets across across the country. Our focus is is across the United States. Nice. Nice. Well, good, good. You know, I, I think I think that's per- perfect audience right here because we, we got a lot of syndicators, a lot of aspiring syndicators that are, are going to be listening to this. So perfect for you. Uh, sure. Now let's let's look at your your big burning why, your motivation for for doing what you do. Motivation has always been has always been, I've always been a deal guy. So mm-hmm. uh, my motivation has always been getting the deal done from all aspects of the deal. So mm-hmm. I, you know, I, it jazzes me up from looking at the deal from the due diligence standpoint to finding it, finding the right deal, looking at the, looking at the numbers, making sure that, that, that is, this is something that we, that we like. This is something that, that, that fits the, fits the mold, if you will. And essentially walking, ushering the deal through to its fruition, meaning finding the right capital, structuring the, the, you know, the right capital stack, bringing the right partners to the table. That's, that's really sort of what jazzes me up on a day-to-day basis. And, and with Peak 15, I get to really have fun with all of that mm-hmm. and help a community of sponsors and syndicators, a cohort of, of yeah. sponsors and syndicators that, that I enjoy and love working with to begin with. Yeah, nice. So, Nice. So, so you really enjoy the business aspect of this. This, this, this is great. And you know, something I like about Peak, Peak Fifteen, you know, it seems to be like the the problem solver. You know, you you have syndicators coming with you, and hey, I need I need help with something, and you're you're solving a problem that a lot of syndicators need. So, absolutely. So let's let's talk about some of the deals and projects you've done, and I'll, I'll let you decide. You know, how how you take this. You can you can focus on one project you did, or a range of products projects that you like to do. Just to give people an idea of what what either you know Mac VP or Peak Fifteen has done, we've we've done a variety of projects. We picked up portfolios. We've done you know syndication fundraising via you know via Reg D. We've done syndication fundraising via Five Hundred Six C, which is what we mostly do uh, as far as as far as our syndications are concerned. It's it's been you know it's a lot of fun. Uh, it just depends. Some projects go smoother than others. Some projects take a lot of work. Yeah, and, and and a lot of work. Some projects are easier to acquire up front, but then work later. Two projects come to mind. We have, and one one come to mind now because we're actually going through a through a sale at this point. It's it's under market. We bought a project about a little over three about three years ago or so mm-hmm. in in twenty eighteen. We bought a, a large portfolio in Nashville, almost five hundred units actually, okay. and uh, consisting of three different assets. And the deal was great on paper. It's still, it's obviously still is great, but it took a lot heavier lifting for us to get it up to where we wanted it than we initially mm-hmm. thought. So we took the project on, we encountered issues, anything from management to personnel issues, to keeping the right property manager, to keeping the right crew. And it took, it took a while. It took a while. It was a lot of hard work. You know, and, and thanks to our property management arm and the folks that work there and it took a village yes. to, to kind of stabilize and get that project where we want it. And finally, it's, you know, the project is, is at a point where we now are, we just put it out in the market, actually. It's being marketed by, by Capstone, uh, Capstone Properties. Nice. So large, large, uh, you say 500 units, Nashville, three different property, little portfolio there. Nice. Yeah, all nice. value add, obviously all, you know, vintages, you know, from the 70s and 80s. But, but it was, it's right in the wheelhouse of, you know, a, a value add acquisition that we typically would love to do and nice. sink our teeth into. And, and on the, that, on the, I'm sorry, go ahead. I was going to say, was that, was that a syndication that you guys did? That was a syndication. That was a Reg D, actually. Okay. So that, that we did. So that was the that was one of the the only Reg Ds that we did okay. in our history. I I don't typically uh, do. We don't typically do Reg D. 
<laughs> on the other side of the coin, we did a, an acquisition a couple of years ago in uh, Wilmington, North Carolina, that was brand new, um, new construction, 2000 at the time, it was 2018 construction. And we don't, again, don't typically do that type of acquisitions, which was, you know, class A new construction, but the numbers worked amazingly. Uh, it was a d- developer that typically developed affordable housing. Uh, mm-hmm. And he, this was his first development in luxury housing and sort of class A housing that's not affordable. And he left a lot of things on the table and it just, it just made the, the things that he left on the table were things that were simple that would not normally, you wouldn't think about that would make a lot of money, but in concert together, they presented a, a, an interesting operational value add to us. So, so in that case, the value add for us was not just the turnaround or the, or the rehab of the units. In that case, the, the, the value add was operational value add. So, mm-hmm. you know, he left things on the table like submetering. He did not submeter. So submetering mm-hmm. added a bunch of dollars to the, to the table for us. He didn't charge for pet rent. He did not charge for, you know, didn't bundle cable and, and accessories that way. He, you know, so you add all these together and it presented to us an opportunity of anywhere between 100 to $140 on day one. Yeah. That we can that we can add to uh, obviously new leases. So it was uh, it was it was great, and this asset is still kicking butt for us even even post COVID. Yeah, you know, and that that's that's a very important point. I mean, operations. I, I think anybody who bought multifamily in 2014, 2016, that time frame, it, it was almost like you know, as, as one of my partners says, it's almost like you're on a rocket ship. You can't help but go up and, and ride you know ride that rocket ship upwards. But I think, you know, in the, in the era we're in right now and the time we're in right now, operations are really going to distinguish different groups from each other. And, you know, looking for all those, you know, management efficiencies, I think is huge. Getting the cable contract, almost everybody's going to have cable in their house. But, you know, negotiating that contract with the cable company and you're adding to your NOI doing that. Absolutely. Absolutely. No, 100%. It's, it's all about efficiencies. It's all about adding adding that, that extra through your operational expertise that you can bring to the table um, that, that would normally would not be added just by going in and ripping out countertops. You may not even have to do any ripping out. Uh, so that's, that's the beautiful part about it is a lot of times people look at newer construction or somewhat semi-luxury, I'd say A, a, a minus class mm-hmm. assets and say, well, there's no value add there for me. Well, don't discount it so quickly. I mean, they might be value add for you if you look at, at the numbers and look at what the currently the operator is currently doing. So, yeah. So don't don't discount those properties right off the bat. Yeah, yeah. We, we've got a down downtown property where, where part of the allure was it's in a downtown area where parking is scarce, and there's a lot of other operators in that area that are charging parking fees. Yeah. You know? So yeah, you you want an assigned parking spot? You know, that's twenty, thirty, forty dollars a month, depending on what the market can handle, and that's just added to your NOI. Oh yeah! Oh, absolutely, and, and it and it, it it could be as simple as parking. It could be as simple as sometimes that uh, you know we we acquire properties that we raise rents on. It depends on the topo. So if you look at the topography of the of the property, and if the property sits on something nice like a lake or something mm-hmm. that that you know oversees a, a nice forest or or a mountain or whatever, if it has like a nice view, there could be some opportunities there to to charge differentiated rent yeah. uh, based on those apartments that overlook that view. So if you have apartments that that have a fantastic view on a lake, you can charge premium rent on those than, than you can for those who don't face the lake. So, you know, and, and hotels have been doing that for years and Forever. years and years. Forever. I mean, it's, it's oh, one yeah. of those, you know, my, my favorite vacation spots are all on beaches, you know, and you go to the hotel, you, you're on the coastal side of the hotel and you're paying almost double and, and uh, people will sure. pay for the view. So oh, know, that, yeah. that, that, that's something that a lot of people, you know, a lot of syndicators or operators probably don't factor in is, 
What do they see when they look out their window? Oh, you know, absolutely. Yeah. I mean, this, this, this guide first, first aligned to pay for to pay extra for view. I, you know, when I look yeah. at, when I go to my hotel booking, it says garden view or city view. I always pick city view and I pay up that extra 50 bucks or 60 bucks yeah. or whatever it is it costs for, for night. So yeah, yeah, absolutely. I mean, well, great. So what's, what's next for you? What, what are you looking forward to in your businesses? What's next is we continue to, for now, I continue to grow Peak 15 Capital. We're, we're, we still look at some acquisitions at Mac, but in a very, you know, in a very different manner, obviously post-COVID. So uh, it's, it's, it's really staying in, staying in the game. Um, again, I, I still, I, I love to get, stay on the pulse of deals. I still love to, to be involved in, in all deal aspects, whether it's, it's for my own portfolio or, or for uh, helping others with it, which is what Peak 15 does. Yeah, nice, nice. Well, let's uh, transition right now. We'll introduce our, our next guest. We got Hirsch Rye on the line. He's an active duty naval officer, graduated from the United States Naval Academy in Annapolis. He's a cryptologic warfare officer and is currently pursuing a master's degree in computer and information technology at Purdue University while active duty. During his time at Purdue, he found a passion for real estate investing and is now focused on commercial multifamily and affordable housing. So that said, Hirsch, welcome to the show. Thank you so much, Brian, for having me. It's a pleasure to be here. And I love this podcast. So I'll tell the listeners out there, keep listening. Hey, thanks a lot. I appreciate that. Yeah. So, you know, I, I love what you guys are doing. I know you attach yourself to a couple of very experienced people. And, you know, I'm excited to watch your growth. And I've seen a lot of webinars that you guys have done and just, just a fantastic job on your piece in that. So good for you. Thank you so much. Appreciate it. So why don't, why don't you start out by giving everybody a little bit about your background and your history, you know, up until you really started thinking, hey, that, that apartment thing sounds good. Sure. So like you mentioned, I graduated from Annapolis last year and I essentially came to Purdue last August. It's been about a year now. And I realized I had a lot more time on my hands than I knew what to do with coming from a military focused environment with waking up at 5 a.m. and not going to bed until, you know, you're deemed to do so. Mm-hmm. Uh, I had little to no time for self-growth. You know, every all my free time was spent just relaxing. Mm-hmm. But coming to Purdue, I remember the registrar said, you know, you only have class twice a week. So I said, all right, what do I do with the rest of my time? Do I work out or, you know, what, yeah. what else What else can I do? So, you know, I always had a focus or I always had a passion for financial literacy and personal finance. You know, it's always been something that I've been very drawn towards. So I decided to pick up the Purple Bible and Rich Dad, Poor Dad, mm-hmm. read it again. I had read it again when I was very young, but who knows what a middle school kid's going to do with that book, right? So yeah. picked up that book again, read it, and immediately had a mindset shift change. And from there, basically realized real estate was a very tangible asset that I wanted to pursue. Unknowns to false beliefs, but you don't always need capital to get into the business. And mm-hmm. that's when I started to learn, you know, the Midwest is a strong market. I'm here for a year and a half. I might as well start expanding my growth. Started to attend a lot of meetups, go listen to a lot of podcasts originally bigger pockets, but then started to focus more into commercial multifamily after learning about what syndication, what joint venture is, mm-hmm. how people are buying apartments with OPM, other people's money. And from there, got introduced to the group I'm currently working with now, along with my business partner, Nicholas Vu, mm-hmm. who's also on this podcast earlier, yeah. uh, working with Veteran Pride Investment Group and uh, started underwriting for those guys and have transacted now into deal sourcing and focusing more on the acquisition standpoint. So. Nice. 
Nice. You know, and, and for somebody your age, I mean, that's something that I'm, I'm rarely hearing from people you know, almost twice your age. So good for you for, for finding it so early and for, for getting involved so early. You know, I, I wish I wish I had the wherewithal, you know, when I was in my early 20s to, to be able to do that. Well, what do you uh, expect but, from somebody who read Rich Dad, Poor Dad when he was in middle school? I mean, good <laughs> Lord, I, I, you know, my, I, that's, that's amazing that, you, that you're reading that, those kind of books in that early age. You know, I tried to pay my daughters to read that book. You know, I gave them a list of books over a summer and I said, I will give you, you know, $20 for each one of these books that you read. And my oldest daughter, she was 18 at the time. She actually read a couple of books and I, I paid her, you know, quite a, quite a bit of money for that. But yeah, my younger, she was probably a freshman in high school. She's just like, dad, it's not even worth that time. You have to double that for that book. Yeah. It's like, <laughs> mm, yeah, yeah. So. The reason I got it in middle school, one of my mom's college buddies had given it to her uh, when they visited the States and she was like, you know, you should read this. So I was like, all right. Yeah. And again, it, it took me a while. It wasn't, you know, a one day read for me. It, it was a few months back then just because I was in middle schooler, but yeah. you know how that goes. <laughs> well, I, I just, I just reread Cashflow Quadrant, you know, and it's, okay. uh, I picked up Rich Dad, Poor Dad. That was also a mind, mind changing book for me as well. I, I picked it up, uh, Geez, uh, I was mid twenties, you know, so 25, I was stationed in Okinawa and there was a lot of buzz about that book at the time, picked it up, read it. And that's, that's when I decided to start investing in real estate, you know, bought a couple of single family homes. And you know, so I think that's, that's a catalyst for a lot of people. So, but anyway, so we got uh, John on the line here. What would you like to ask him? Yeah, sure. Thanks so much for the introduction again. Yeah, man. So John, I want to ask you first question, how does your day-to-day role look as a capital advisory and consulting business at Peak 15 Capital. Day to day we are, so, you know, so it's interesting when you were, when you were in the, in the sort of the capital advisory business, you're, you're working on both sides of the equation all the time. So as, as we are, we, we approach our day to day because we have to, we have to balance out building new relationship with, with new capital providers, with new investors on the PE side or, or institutional side as well as obviously developing our relationship with syndicators and sponsors up, up and coming or established already. So we are constantly sort of playing both sides of the equation and trying to build relationships on both sides, which is, which is great, which is my forte. I mean, I love, I love relationship building. I love getting in touch with new people and getting to know their business on both sides of the equation. You know, on a day-to-day basis, we are you know, we are, we're obviously strategizing on a weekly call uh, with my team and we kind of set our priorities and what we have to get accomplished. And, you know, we kind of go out there and, and, and reach out to folks and, and as, as well as look at deals. Uh, so mm-hmm. that's, that's what we, you know, the, the first, the first line of what we do essentially, as far as the process is concerned, I need to understand the deal myself when I speak with a new sponsor or a new syndicator. I, you know, I want to make sure that I'm sold on the deal before I go out and sell it to somebody else. Because if I'm not sold on the deal and if the deal doesn't make sense to me, I'm not going to sugarcoat it to, to the sponsor or syndicator and say, yeah, this is a great deal. I'm going to go out and raise money for you. If it makes no sense, I, I'm not going to sugarcoat it for them. I'm going to tell them what I see wrong, you know, where the numbers are, what, what the expectations out there of the numbers. And yeah, that, that will make me a more effective partner for them because it doesn't, it will not make me an effective partner if I take a deal on that has completely unrealistic numbers. Uh, the underwriting doesn't work the area doesn't work or the numbers completely are out of whack. It, it won't make, I will be doing them a, a disfavor by taking a project on like that and not telling them what's wrong. So that's why it's really important for me to understand the deal from a first level perspective when we do our due diligence. And I say due diligence because we, that's what we do with, you know, with our sponsor. I, I'd love to, to help all the sponsors out there, but unfortunately not all the sponsors out there have deals that are worth funding. 
I, I want to make sure that I am diligent enough to work with the sponsor. I don't want to say educate them, but give them my perspective, an ungarnished perspective on what, what their deal looked like and, and what the likelihood of the funding is. Absolutely. That's great. And I think you touched on a lot of key points, types of investors you look at, how you maintain investor relations and how that's your favorite part of the business it looks like. So my following question to that is, you know, what type of investors does Peak 15 Capital focus on? So previous podcasts, I've heard you talk about three tiers, friends and family, real estate, private equity groups, and institutional money. Yeah. So over your time, given the past 15 years or so since 04, starting your structured finance business, what money do you feel is best that Peak 15 invests in or uh, looks for currently? Yeah, I mean, our core expertise is working with with private equity guys, institutional guys. That's that's sort of the the top tier. We will also we have also relationships with with large family offices that we can bring to the table as well. That will, I mean, it, it's it's kind of quasi private equity. So so larger large family offices are are quasi private equity because there are a lot of large family offices that have really established themselves as as almost hedge funds that will invest in in our sector and multifamily and in, in the real estate sector, commercial real estate sector in general. So those those are really the kind of the kind of investors that we typically work with. We do not work for the most part, we do not work with individual investors just because it doesn't make sense. When we work with a sponsor or syndicator, we want to make sure that we bring them one check to the table that will take care of 80 to 90% of their equity stack. We don't want to go out there and bring them 10 checks to the table or 20 checks to the table. We'd rather it's just a, it's a more efficient way for, for us to, to source capital for them. Right. So considering the experience that is given from these institutional investors or these family offices, obviously they want to have a diverse portfolio amongst different asset classes and sure. your involvement in commercial multifamily. How do you distinguish your requirements for peak 15 capital versus the requirements for the investors themselves. So for example, you know, you guys want to look at any acquisition over a hundred units with value add potential, but you know, an institutional partner might tell you so. So how do you deviate or distinguish which one you focus on more so? And what assets do you actually typically focus on? How many units, what vintage, things like that? Yeah, it's a great question. That's a really great question. And in order for us to help the most, where we kind of make our most impact is with people who are looking for over 100 units or you know the deal size has to have to make sense in order for for us to have a successful engagement with them and to help them the most if somebody is needs i would say below 3 million 2 million in equity it's probably too small of a deal for us to for us to to make sense to step in and help them on just because they can probably for that type of money they can probably source it from Friends and family, friends family. And, and investors, individual investors. It doesn't make sense for them because because obviously the deal is better for the syndicators when they keep it to individual investors and friends and family. They can they can make more out of the deal. The mathematics of the deal, the optics of the deal, makes sense more when they keep it keep it to, to friends and family rounds and, and individual investors. Uh, when they as soon as you step into the private equity institutional investor route, your equation of returns is going to is going to change. And I'm not going to lie. I'm not going to sugarcoat it. It's it's you're going to have to give up more of the deal. Obviously, when somebody brings in more than fifty percent of the equity stack, you can you can almost guess that they're going to require more money. They're going to require more for their money. So, you know, I would say anybody who's looking for probably three, four million dollars and over would be probably a good potential relationship for us to, to work with. And it depends on the expectation. And so, so we have to work with the expectation of the investor as well, especially in this post-COVID environment. I mean, in in, in post-COVID. The expectations have changed, have shifted. The, the priorities of institutional guys and private equity guys 
have shifted a bit post COVID. And it's our job to kind of know what they're looking for and in, in the relationships that they like to develop with sponsors and syndicators so that we can have a good match between the two. A lot of, of, of investors and, and, and institutional guys who have typically invested in deals in areas they don't, they would not normally look at, uh, they were not discerning necessarily mm-hmm. where they invest as long as the deal makes sense. So a lot of investors, for instance, would go into, you know, I, I don't know, would go into uh, a market like, Maybe their investors based in New York and they would go into a, uh, a market like Ohio, for instance, and they would invest in Ohio if the deal makes sense, if the numbers make sense, if there's enough cash flow in the deal, IRR makes sense. They'd say, yeah, that's fine. We'll, we'll cut a check for a deal in Ohio. Now, maybe they won't do that. Maybe they'll only invest in deals that they've invested in areas that they know and know well, places like maybe in North Carolina or, or Virginia or whatever it, it might be. So it's, it really, you have to find the comfort level and the comfort level have changed post-COVID. Yeah, so that's what I'm trying to say. The comfort level of a lot of investors, whether it's private equity, institutional, or, or even smaller investors, that comfort level has changed. For, for smaller investors, they probably need more out of the deal to make, to make sense. They probably are looking for more opportunistic numbers for them to, to make sense to put, to put money in. And make no mistake, there's a lot of money out there. There's no shortage of capital. There is plenty of capital on the sidelines right now. Yeah, we're finding smaller investors want to get out of the stock market right now because of the volatility that, that's involved. 100%. Yeah, 100%. so so a lot of capital that was you know normally riding stock market now is you know on the table for investment. Now, John, I got a question for you. You, you talked about you know the deal making sense and underwriting the deal. What do you do to underwrite the the actual operators? And you know what do you do to make sure that you're you're dealing with a strong team? That's a great question. It, the, the 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 operators also have to make sense almost as much as underwriting have to make sense, mm-hmm. and the numbers have to make sense. Because it doesn't do any good for me to try to help an operator if they cannot close on a deal themselves successfully. Mm-hmm. Uh, so the team has to make sense. And if, uh, you know, sometimes I work with operators that uh, maybe they themselves don't have the whereabouts to pull off a larger acquisition. So in that case, I will work with them to kind of find a marriage between them and maybe another operator or sponsor that I know in my network that could work with them to, to, to take down a certain asset. So it, it really... It depends on, on, on what the operator is. So the operator has to have, obviously, the financial whereabout to do the deal, to execute on the deal, meaning they mm-hmm. have to have the, the, the money, the capital to, to be able to, to put the hard money down, to put the money that's, that's needed for the, to, to lock down the assets, right. to the money for the due diligence. So there's, there's, you know, there's a lot of money that you that have to be counted for upfront mm-hmm. that is not necessarily the equity or the, or the debt. So they, you have to have that figured in. Obviously, the, the credit risk, worthy- yeah, risk capital, credit worth. Okay, got it. Yeah, you know, credit worthiness have to come in play. That's that's almost a no brainer. I mean, anybody mm-hmm. who does not, who is not credit worthy, they probably should rethink twice about becoming a syndicator. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, and obviously, the net worth uh, of the syndicator. So that's that's the that's the other area. So if, you know, if you're taking on a a project that is 200 units as opposed to 30 units, the the mathematics there are different for your mm-hmm. net worth than from the 30 unit to 200 units. You know, from a from a lending standpoint, you're going to have to show the bank or the or the lender that you have the net worth to take down 200 units. Right. So if that's not there, again, there's there's an issue. You have to have the net worth. You have to be partnered up with somebody who does have the net worth. So, so all these things have to come and come and cost. So our due diligence on the sponsor to answer your question is is, mm-hmm. is twofold. We we obviously check the sponsors out. We ask them all the right questions. We ask them all these questions. Are you able? Are you willing? Are you do you have the means and the whereabouts to take down a deal? And if you're not then that's fine. Let us know and we'll help you. Um, mm-hmm. Maybe we'll help you pair with another sponsor. But, but that's really important. 
I have a question on top of that, right? So let's say Brian's team brought you a deal, right? You know, they're very, very well-defined sponsors. They've had a lot of acquisitions um, and they're working on a 200 unit portfolio, $20 million. So how does Peak 15 Capital look in the equity structure of the deal? Would they come in as a GP and provide the equity stack or how does that work? We would not typically come in on the deal itself. We'll help you look at the, at the mathematics of the deal. We'll help you formulate the right team to take down the mm-hmm. deal. We'll bring the capital to the deal. We will not necessarily, for now, we will not take, every now and then, if there's a deal that we found that we could put our own capital in, then we will. But for the most part, you know, our, our main focus is to work and collaborate with the sponsor to bring them the capital they need to the table. So if Brian's team is taking on a deal that's $20 million and he can do it himself and he's got the whereabouts, he's got the track record, he's, mm-hmm. he's done He's done deals like that before. He's taken down, you know, 100 to 200 unit deals before and has a decent portfolio and he can do it. That's great. You know, we'll work with, we'll work with Brian. If he does not, if he, if he came, came to me and says, John, I, you know, I've only taken down 100 units so far in my history, 150 units so far. And I, you know, I, I've never taken down anything larger than 40 units. That's going to probably be a challenge for him to take down a 200 unit by himself for the first time. So just for that first time, we might say, you know, Brian, let me, you know, let me look in my network. I have someone in that market that you're looking at for that de- for that deal that m- might be interested in going in on it with you. Would, you. would you be interested in doing that? And if so, then I'd, I'd love to introduce you and make the connection. Yep. Sometimes we'll look at the deal from Mac Venture side. So if, if, if a deal that makes sense in our market for Mac Venture partners, then maybe we'll bring capital and expertise and, and come in on deal from a co-sponsor perspective. I, you know, our main focus is just to get a successful deal done for the, for the sponsor, whether it's, you know, whether we bring only the money, whether we make introductions to other sponsors and make a connection that way, or, or whether we put in our own money in the deal. But, but main, mainly, we just, want to, we just want to have the sponsor to have a successful deal. Nice. Yeah. So, so, I mean, what I'm getting, you can work with a, a wide range of p- experience and a wide range of, uh, of deal sizes. You know, you're just basically helping people make the connections they need, bring capital that they need and getting them across the finish line. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. And, and there's no, there's no, I don't want to say there's no team too small because obviously the smaller you are and the less experience you are, mm-hmm. it's going to be a challenge. I'm not going to lie. It's going to be a challenge for you to, to get the right deal done, especially if it's, it's a deal that meets the parameters of what we typically fundraise for. So that's why I'll say we'd, we'd make the connection for you for somebody else, yeah. but there's no deal that's too big. We have institutional investors in our relationship stack that would invest in deals in excess of $50 million in equity. So, I mean, you're talking about deals that are hundreds of millions of dollars big. So right. it's, it's, there's, no, there's no deals that's too big for us to take down. Yes. All right, Hirsch, we got time for one more question. So make it a good one. Sure. Yeah. My final question is going to be, John, do you have a favorite book that you recommend to new aspiring investors such as myself to read? And if so, what is it? And why do you like it so much? Oh, man, that's a good question. I'm always reading books, reading, you know, it's, it's, there's, there's all kinds of different books that I would, I would recommend. A lot of them are not necessarily related just to real estate. So a lot of times I will tell a lot of, a lot of people to, to look at books that are about process and process management. So you can have a more efficient style of processing, you know, how you're going about your business because handling your business is, is probably just as important as getting information about real estate. Information about real estate, you can probably download from the right connection or the right partner, uh, and you can self-learn a lot. One book that I recommend a lot and constantly is, is a book called Hope is Not a Method. I, I say it especially, especially for you, 
Hirsch because it's it's a book written by General Gordon Sullivan, and it is a book mainly written for the army. It's it's mainly written from the standpoint of an army operator uh, that talks about things like after action review, which I'm sure you are aware of coming mm-hmm. coming from the armed forces. So after action review is something that that will allow people to kind of take a step back from everything they've done and say, what went wrong? What went right? How can I improve that next time I do it? Yeah. That book has been amazing to me, have always helped me. And I always recommend it to people when they look in, in all businesses, not just in real estate, but but it's particularly helpful in real estate because it's very transactional based. So when you are engaged in a real estate transaction, there are a lot of things that are going to go right and a lot of things are going to go wrong. Mm-hmm. So whether you have a successful transaction or, or, or non-successful transaction, this book will help because you know, it, it can make you look, and you should do that with both actually, by the way. If you uh, have a successful transaction, you should still look at the process and say, okay, what did I do right? What made this transaction successful? What, what did I put in place that, that allowed me to have a successful closing? And on the flip side of the coin, you look at it from a different critical way. It's like, hey, that, that went really bad. What did I do that, that went bad? What can I do to improve it next time? Yeah. You know, when you read the title of the book, it just made me smile because we, we say in the Marine Corps, hope is not a COA, which COA is course of action. Hope is not a yeah. course of action. You know, so as soon as you said it, struck, struck a chord and I'm like, hey, that's, that, that resonated a little bit. Makes sense. That it's a military guy that read it or that wrote Absolutely. it. Excuse me. You know, I, I picked up a, a really good book yesterday. My, my partner sent it over to me, the one page marketing plan, you know, nothing to do with multifamily. It's, it's, it's about marketing. I just pulled up my uh, Kindle Audible account, one page marketing plan, atomic habits, cash flow quadrant, and then, you know, raising capital by Hunter Thompson. I mean, those, those, are the, those are the last four that I read. And only one of the four is a, a real estate book. So nice. But good. That's awesome. Yeah. Well, well, guys, you know, I appreciate your time. Appreciate you guys coming on the show and, you know, spending this time with me. Last question for both of you. Hey, John, where, where can people get in touch with you? Uh, they can reach me at my email, azar, uh, A-Z-A-R at peak15cap.com. That's peak, P-E-A-K, one five, cap, C-A-P.com. Okay. Uh, or they can find me on LinkedIn or they can find me on uh, Instagram, either way. Okay. And I'll have all that in the show notes. You know, I'll have links to your Instagram profile and your, your LinkedIn profile. Hirsch, same question for you. How can our listeners get in touch with you? Sure. Thanks so much. Uh, people can get in touch with me on my email. So it's Hirsch, H-E-R-S-H at RivuCapital.com. So R-A-I-V-U Capital.com. And they can also get in touch with me on LinkedIn as well. All right. And once again, that'll be in the show notes as well. And it took me a while. Um, I realized you know you and your 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 partner Nicholas have the same domain, and it took me a while to realize it. But it's your last name next to his last name together. So I, I think I knew you guys for probably a month before I I figured that out. But clever, and, and it works. So, I like that. I like the name of the company. Yeah, Rising Cap. We, we, yeah. we found out it means uh, to live in Japanese. So. Oh. Oh, wow. That's great. Yeah. Man. Yeah. yeah. Let's go with that one. Had nothing to do with your last name. Just the, <laughs> yeah. the Japanese meaning. I love that. I love yeah. that. That's, that's even better than my name. I like that. Yeah. Perfect. Well, hey, thanks again, guys, for being on the show. You guys brought a ton of value. It was truly a pleasure to be part of this conversation today. And thanks so much for having us, Brian. Yeah. Look forward thanks to- Thanks so for having us. Hirsch, talking, thanks for joining. Yeah. Look forward to talking to you guys again in the future at any time. So it, it was awesome. Take care, guys. All right. Absolutely. Take care. Have a good one. Right. And that's a wrap.
Thank you for listening to the Diary of an Apartment Investor podcast today, brought to you by Four Oaks Capital. If you'd like to know more about how to invest in apartment buildings or want to be a guest in our show, visit our website at fouroakscapital.com slash podcast or email us directly. If you're still listening, you obviously like the show, so pull out your phone, tap subscribe, and leave us a five-star rating on your favorite podcast app. And we'll see you again next week.